We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Yusei, we recorded this episode on Wednesday, December 22nd, following the Bears' loss to the Minnesota Vikings, a 17-9 loss. This was uh, not a fun one to watch, Yusei, but you know the holidays are just around the corner here. How are we doing today, man? I'm doing well, obviously. Um, you're right. You know, holidays are around the corner. I feel like every single year it kind of approaches much faster than a lot of people expect it to. Other than that, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, doing good. Just got all of my Christmas shopping done, you know, preparing for all the festivities that are going to be happening. It's, it's going to be a busy time over the next week or so. So, you know, it's going to be fun. And, you know, hopefully, you know, as in terms of shifting this over to the football conversation, we get to see some more fun uh, Bears games because this this last one, you know, transitioning here and talking about this one on um, Monday Night Football was not fun to watch. And it makes me want to, to just throw football to the side for a moment, just focus on everything else because uh, this is just a tough game to watch in general. The Bears losing 17 to 9 uh, to the Minnesota Vikings. You know, the offense, they were able to move the ball in this one, you said, but just weren't able to capitalize at all with points. You know, what are your general thoughts from this game? And, you know, what was your, what was going through your head throughout this one? Because it just felt like every single thing that could go wrong for this Bears offense did go wrong at the worst possible times. I mean, so at this point, you know, I feel like we're all reaching to find any sort of reason to continue believing in the 2021 Bears. And I want to address something. A lot of there's been some controversy. I know that there's been a handful of times over the last week or so I've listened to Chicago sports radio. And one of the big narratives out there is, hey, is Justin Fields improving? Now, I can tell you guys this, you know, what I see is that Justin is improving. You see some of the noticeable improvements. You see him playing faster in the pocket. You see him making smarter decisions. But then again, it's also hard to sit here and ask yourself the other end of the question, which is, is Justin Fields legitimately improving? 
or is he kind of stagnant in his development because the Bears' offense is so bad around him? Now, there were obviously a couple of bright spots in this game, right? You start with the offensive side of the ball. I think Tevin Jenkins really had a big bounce-back game. Yeah, the penalties are still an issue for him, but I also think that's more so just rust more than anything and lack of game experience compared to his counterpart, Larry Borm, who didn't play Monday night, but Larry Borm's got some game action, has looked really good. You switch over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I thought the secondary did really well. The biggest name that stood out to me was Thomas Graham Jr., a 2021 six-round pick. And, you know, Graham Jr. had seven tackles, three pass breakups. He really made his presence known early and often. And I tweeted this, but when I talked to Thomas back during training camp, the vibe I got from him was that he was a player that despite being a mid-round pick, a day three pick, he was going to come in and no matter what was challenge was thrown his way, he was going to step up and rise to the occasion. And quite frankly, that's what you want out of a team that is looking for an identity and a player who's just trying to make a name for himself. So Thomas Graham Jr. had a big game, but just irrespective of this week 15 game, I th think that when you look at the Bears rookie class in 2021, there's something to be said about all of these draft picks because every single one of these players outside of wide receiver Daz Newsome has had an impact and has noticeably jumped off the screen at one point in time or another. And so I think for some, this is going to be a bit bold, but I'm just going to toss this out there because I do see this. I think right now there's an argument to be made that at the end of this season, we could be looking at the Bears as having the best overall rookie class from 2021. Now, we won't know until three to four years down the line, but so far, the early returns have been so encouraging. There are a lot of teams right now who kind of kill to have what the Bears have going, especially with the rookie class. Yeah, absolutely. This rookie class, I and mean, we've been talking a bit, talking about it all since, you know, since the draft happened all offseason early on this year. You know, this rookie class, it's it's been a bright spot for Ryan Pace and what has been a, you know, a, a tough last few years for him on the job here. You know, this rookie class, you know, you look at it all starts with Justin Fields, obviously. And if he's great and he's, you know, the franchise quarterback that we all think and hope that he can be, then it's going to be a good draft class regardless. And then you add Tevin Jenkins. And then I want to shift to Thomas Graham here because, like you said, Thomas Graham, I mean, man, did he ball out in his first game action here as a rookie uh, for this Bears team? And, you know, he was fantastic on Monday Night Football. And, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, Graham is a guy that impressed at the Senior Bowl, um, opted out of his last year at Oregon. So that might have hurt him a little bit in the draft process. You know, teams may have hold, may have hold that against him. And, you know, the Bears, I, I think they have found a gem here. And it, and it goes to, you know, it makes me question, you know, with how well Graham played, and we haven't really seen a cornerback besides Jalen Johnson in this Bears roster play as well as Graham did against his Vikings team. So it makes me question, you know, why did it take so long for Graham to see the field, especially with Kendall Vildor struggling as he did, you know, Duke Shelley struggling and not playing for the last couple of weeks. You know, they're throwing out Xavier Crawford, guys like him, and Marky Christian out there. Like the cornerback room for the Bears has been an absolute mess this season. Uh, and like you, and like you mentioned, you have to give them props for what they did against Minnesota. Who, you know, everyone was joking before the game that Justin Jefferson was going to have like the greatest game a wide receiver has ever had in this one. And you know what? They they did a great job of slowing him down and slowing down this Minnesota Vikings uh, passing offense in general. And a lot of that credit has to go to Thomas Graham Jr. Uh, he had three pass breakups in this game. He had a couple of really nice tackles and run support. 
as well as just getting guys you know down early before they could pick up additional yards after the catch. Uh, he, he looked very good. PFF had him great, I think, with a 91 overall grade in this game. So he he was impressive, and now it sounds like he's going to be on the active roster for the remainder of the season. So obviously the coaching staff was really impressed with how he played. I would expect him to start for the remainder of the season once guys like Jalen Johnson get back and whatnot, and uh, we see this secondary get a little bit healthier. You know, it you know it's it it goes to show that if you keep on taking swings at the cornerback position, eventually you know you're gonna you might find one of these guys these these, these late round gems. And cornerback is a position that is so so important that you have to continue to put resources into it. And you know the Bears they still have a lot of questions at cornerback going forward. I still think when you look at heads of this offseason, I don't want to trend too much into that territory, um, but. You know, they still need one or two starters, you know, going into next offseason. Jalen Johnson is probably the only guy you feel good about. But if Thomas Grant can show some things over the next couple of weeks uh, to wrap up this season, you have to feel a little bit better about your cornerback room going forward because, as we know, the Bears are going to have to invest a ton on offense this offseason. So I mean, there's going to be very little to go around for the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, speaking of that offense, I want to transition back there uh, before talking about the rest of this rookie class in general because – you know, Tevin Jenkins got his first start at left tackle for the Bears on Monday night. And, you know, he got his first game action against the Green Bay Packers the week before, and he struggled, to say the least. Um, he, he just he gave up two sacks in that game. Uh, he did not look comfortable on the left side, had a bunch of penalties, and he had a bunch of penalties in this Monday night game as well. But I thought he made up for it with really solid play. You know, he was really good in pass protection in this game. We saw that, you know, trademark nastiness in the run game that, had all the Bears fans just ecstatic about him uh, when the Bears drafted him in the second round and traded up to go get him. You know, that, that was his thing coming out of Oklahoma State, that mauling attitude that, you know, I'm just going to kick the ass of the other guy in front of me for 60 minutes, for 60, 70 plays, however many plays. He, he was bringing that attitude in this Minnesota Vikings game. And, you know, a, a lot of Bears fans were were high on him for, you know, the way he responded to Justin Fields, you know, he got knocked down. The refs didn't call a late flag on that one play in the third quarter, I believe it was, on a rollout play. Uh, he got flagged for, you know, starting uh, a fight with you know, Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings players. He was, um, you know, going after them, basically, uh, you know, just saying like, hey, don't hit my quarterback like that. That's not right. Uh, because the refs were, for whatever reason, just weren't throwing the flag on Justin Fields again. It's, it's ridiculous how the refs aren't are, – it seems like they're going out of their way not to protect Justin Fields this season, but you know, that's besides the point. Tevin Jenkins, you know, going to protect his quarterback, um, needs to learn how to control his emotions a little bit there. You know, not throwing punches here. Um, don't, sticking up for your quarterback is fine. Getting in the face of uh, opposing defensive linemen when they hit your quarterback a, a little a little bit too late or a little bit too hard than you like, that's fine. Um, and, you know, we just got to make sure that we're not committing too many penalties that hurt our team, but Overall, you know, two big positives, I think, from those two rookies there and Tevin Jenkins and Thomas Graham uh, in this last game here. And it just goes to show that this entire rookie class, when you look at you know, the flashes that we've seen from, from Khalil Herbert when he had starting duties with David Montgomery out at running back for a couple of weeks, getting a couple hundred yard games, and what he's done as a kick returner for this team. Uh, you look at Larry Borms uh, stepping into the starting line, but right tackle and looking serviceable at that spot. Uh, there is a lot to like with this rookie class so far, you said. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it seems to me at this point that the writing's on the wall, that the Bears are going to clean house, and that Ryan Pace is probably gone. Uh, 
but you know, credit where credit's due because he, he did a really good job with this draft class. And we talked about it a lot here. Um, you know, it, it's looking like this is going to be a gem of a draft class right here. And if Justin Fields continues to progress and get better, and hopefully that starts with the new coaching staff and more talent around him next offseason, um, you know, this could be something that's very special for this Bears franchise. Yeah, and specials, you know, I think the word to use. Now, you mentioned Ryan Pace kind of possibly being fired. It's interesting because it's totally worth discussing right now what Ryan Pace's future could look like with the Bears because there's too much fire and smoke around Ryan Pace right now. You have 50% of people saying, well, he's coming back. You have 50% of people saying, well, he's fired, he's being gone. And then there seems to be this really split opinion is essentially what it is with Ryan Pace. Now, I want to address that because for the people who say he's coming back, you know what, what role is he coming back in? Because there's been rumblings about possibly shaking up the front office and the organizational hierarchy. Does that mean Ryan Pace is coming back as general manager? Or does that mean he's coming back as a president of football operations? So those are a couple things to keep an eye on. But for the people saying that he's gone, I mean, deservedly, I think that despite the fact that the last three or four draft classes have been pretty good for Ryan Pace. I mean, 2019, the only real hit you had was David Montgomery, but there were virtually no draft capital in that year. I mean, 2018 was pretty good, but kind of finding Roquan Smith, James Daniels, Bilal Nichols, 2020 and 2021 have by far been his best draft classes. But I think the point just speaks to itself that 2022, if Ryan Pace is back, is going to be his eighth year as general manager of the Bears. And he's had just two playoff appearances, zero playoff wins, really only one winning season. I mean, 2015, 2016, 2017, and then now 2021, you know, were all seasons where the Bears have lost 10 or more games. You look at the only winning seasons been 2018, 2019, 2020 were two subpar years. And I think that at some point, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips kind of have to look at themselves upstairs and say, hey, What's the real problem here? I think that the real problem boils down to the fact that it's for many people and the Bears rightfully so, especially on the outside, they kind of view the issue in Chicago being that the McCaskies believe they don't have a quarterback and that finding a quarterback is going to solve all their issues. I think that's completely false. Not having a quarterback in 102 years is an issue, but then also the other side of the argument comes down to this is that or Ted McCaskey, I'm sorry, Ted Phillips, George McCaskey, are they really football minds? Probably not, and they show they aren't. I mean, I know we want to move on from Pace and Nagy, but then again, let's just keep in mind, I mean, McCaskey and Phillips are the same people who fired Lovey Smith after a 10-win season, after he had just made the NFC Championship game one or two years ago. And then what happened? You know what? They went with Mark Trestman over Bruce Arians. So the moral of the story is this, is while we're sitting here talking about potential replacements for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Just keep something in mind. The next guy isn't always better. And that the real issues in the building are McCaskey and Phillips, and they're going to be the ones that are making the decisions. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if they don't get it right, then the Bears are going to be, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, wash, rinse, repeat all over again. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Ryan Pace is a good example of that. Just because you hit a couple of good draft picks, which is what he did, it seems like, in the 2021 draft, and certainly uh, 2020 draft, Jalen Johnson, uh, Darnell Mooney, and you know Travis Gibson all looked like really good finds for him. And, and you know we can go back and forth on Cole Komet and, and that draft pick. But you know over the last two years, he's drafted well. And you have to give credit where credit is due. But it's, it's proof that there's a lot more that goes into a being a successful GM than just drafting pretty well relative to uh, the draft picks that you have. And while it's nice to say that Ryan Pace, he's done a good job with the draft picks that he's had available to him uh, during his tenure as the Bears GM, there, there's a reason why he's had limited draft picks uh, to you know get the type of players that he, he's gotten here in the drafts, and that's because he doesn't value draft picks. And, and that brings up a whole other conversation about um, you know training down the value of training down, the value of you know stocking up on draft picks and, and all of those things. But you know the bottom line here, I mean, you talk you mentioned the results here. The results have not been good uh, for Ryan Pace's ch- tenure. I, I believe he's 20 games under 500 as a GM here for uh, the Bears during his seven years as a GM. Uh, like you said, no playoff wins, two playoff appearances, only one division title. Um, you know, he got quarterback wrong the first time go first go around, and he got the head coach wrong in terms of Matt Nagy was you know his hire all the way. This is not you know John Fox being kind of forced upon him um, during the first year of his job here. You know this. <laughs> Matt Nagy was his guy and he whipped on the, on the hire, it seems like. So, um, you know, there is just, again, goes to show that there's a lot more that goes into being a successful GM uh, than just having a couple of good draft picks. And, um, you know, I, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's bittersweet in the sense that, you know, we can all thank Ryan Pace. It's, I, I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, I, it's like, thank you, Ryan Pace, for giving us this draft class because it, it really is looking like to, it's going to be a really good draft for, uh, this burst franchise going forward, but you know, I, I'm I'm more than happy to move on at this point. I, I think you know the time, the time has passed, long been passed for uh, the Bears to change things up here in the front office and, and the general structure here. But you know, the point you bring up in terms of you don't you don't know who the next guy um, is going to be better than Ryan Pace, or you know, he's going to be worse or whatnot. I mean, it's very possible that George McCaskey and Ted Phillips could screw this up again. This is the bears we're talking about here. Um, but you know, at this point you have a franchise quarterback here in Justin Fields. We know what Ryan pace is. We know that, you know, at best, he's probably a mediocre GM. Why settle for a mediocre at best GM whose results have been very poor during his tenure. Let's try to shoot for something great here and, you know, not get stuck into, in terms of this uh, mediocre mindset that, you know, just good enough, is good enough, you know, try to shoot for the fences here and see what you can get. Um, but you know, it's the bears here. So we'll end up seeing what happens. There's certainly be a lot to talk about in that GM search going forward here. And definitely a lot to talk, definitely a lot to talk about with the head coach search as well. And that kind of transitions us to our next main topic for today's podcast, switching gears here to urban Meyer being fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure this is, 
This one happened last week, I believe, and I think this was after uh, we recorded our podcast last week, but Urban Meyer officially out as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach after a slew of incidents that do not reflect on him well uh, on a personal level. Um, and certainly his track record in terms of the actual football aspect of things uh, hasn't been good during his first year in Jacksonville either. And it just, it brings up a larger conversation about college football head coaches transitioning to the NFL, because, you know, there are going to be a lot of college football head coaches that I think are going to be thrown around there for the bears in this upcoming offseason in terms of the coaching search here, whether it be a guy like Jim Harbaugh coming back to the NFL out of Michigan I look at Ryan Day, that's been a name that's been thrown around a ton um, out of Ohio State for uh, the Bears, especially the Justin Fields connection, as well as guys like Matt Campbell as well, a uh, name that's thrown out there. So, you know, I don't know, you know, it, it's weird because, you know, coaching in college football and coaching in the NFL, it's almost like there's two completely different sports. And it's hard to separate the two in terms of, you know, how is this guy going to transition to the next level when projecting a, a head coach in college football to the NFL? But, you know, first of all, you said, what are your thoughts on the Urban Meyer firing in and of itself, but as well as just a larger point of college head coaches being successful in the NFL? So this goes back to January when the Jags kind of hired Urban Meyer. I mean, you look at the owner's Chad Khan there. He essentially was just looking for something different and something outside of the box and kind of believe that a proven and winning college coach in Urban Meyer, because Urban Meyer's had his fair share of success at the college level, Khan was kind of hoping that he would be the guy to help take Jacksonville into a new era of football with the number one overall pick and then with Trevor Lawrence on the way. Now, ultimately, I think the point speaks to itself is that everything that came out kind of really showed that Urban Meyer was not the right guy for the job, that somewhere in the evaluation process, what had happened is Shad Khan and the Khan family really screwed up in terms of hiring him in terms of hiring the general manager as well so ultimately you knew it was going to be a mess from start to finish because I think that Urban Meyer has been so successful at the college level to the point where you know what the way he does things and the way he was running things in Jacksonville were the exact same way that you would see kind of a college head coach run a program and again there's a big difference between playing in the college and the NFL just in terms of your routines and stuff too I mean in the NFL you're in meetings from 7 a.m. to 9 at night almost, and you're at the team facility all day in college. Well, guess what? Your day might be 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., but there's probably a three, four, five-hour gap in between that 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. period where you're specifically focusing on classes and homework. And so Meyer kind of gets fired. Now, there's something to be said for all this is that the NFL traditionally just seemingly does not trust college coaches, okay? You look at majority of the head coaching hires and kind of what's happened is these are all guys that – kind of have risen up through the ranks so when we start talking about here over the next couple of weeks the possibility of someone let's just say like a Ryan Day who's been floated around and you know a lot of people think that he could be the Bears head coach next year because of his connection to Justin Fields or it has been reported and confirmed that the Detroit Lions looked into Cincinnati Bearcats head coach Luke Fickle last year I mean, you look at Cliff Kingsbury. He was at Texas Tech before kind of making the jump to the NFL, and now he's been successful with the Cardinals. You know, I think that these college head coaches aren't successful because college is so different and regimented that they try and bring those same tactics over. What really tends to happen is that they don't know and understand how to really adapt is ultimately what 
this whole thing comes down to. Now, also, you look at, I mean, there's players and I'm sorry, there's coaches in college that are there for, you know, 15, 16, 17 seasons, right? Like Nick Saban's a big example of that, whereas Mike Gundy's another one, right? Whereas you look at the NFL where guess what? If you're a head coach that's coach, you know, in your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth season with a team, hey, you're considered lucky. And the Philadelphia Eagles are an example of that. It's like Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, and then three to four years later, he was basically out, and that was the end of it because he just didn't fit what the Eagles wanted to do going forward. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of that is, you know, the big, biggest difference between college football and the NFL is that the recruiting aspect of things, I mean, the, the NFL, in the NFL, you have less control as, as a head coach of the players that you bring in. And when your, your players do eventually come in, you have less control um, you know, just in general. And the turnaround of, you know, of the NFL roster in terms of NFL rosters changing year after year after year, you know, it's tough. In, in the college game, you can pretty much just recruit, you know, I hate to simplify it to this, but at some point for a lot of these college programs, especially for these big programs, guys, for a lot of your games that you're winning, you know, your, your players are just bigger, faster, stronger, and just better than the other team's players. And that's really what it comes down to. There's a lot more nuances that goes to the NFL. In the NFL, you know, the difference between the best teams in terms of talent in the NFL and the worst teams in terms of talent in the NFL is, is razor thin, you know, in a lot of aspects. And a lot of times it just comes down to which team executes better, which team has the better coaching staff, which team is better coach, which team is better used, utilized schematically, which team team makes fewer mistakes, um, all that stuff, which team is healthier at a particular time, matchups. You know, a lot of that stuff goes out the window in the college game because, again, a lot of it comes down to the guys that you're recruiting and bringing in, you know, are they more talented than, than the other players across from them? And it's just a different environment. Of course, the, there is the other caveat that you're dealing with professional players here. You know, these aren't college kids who are, you know, just getting their start here in terms of uh, – learning how to play at a professional level here. Uh, again, these are professional athletes we're dealing with here, grown-ass men here, you know, guys that are going to have their own agendas, so to speak, in terms of what they want um, in terms of their playing career and whatnot. So uh, it's, just a, it's just a different animal. I mean, when you look at NFL players, I mean, these guys, you know, they're paying taxes, they're, they have families, they, they have a whole lot of other responsibilities than college kids. So it's just a whole different environment here. And, you know, that's especially the case when you look at a guy like Urban Meyer, you know, who you can totally tell from the jump that uh, his mantra and his style of treating other people was not going to fly in the NFL, uh, you know, professionals who were not going to put up with some of his, his attitude and his, and his antics, really. Uh, they weren't going to respect him for um, a lot of the stuff that he did, and, and we saw that happen down there in Jacksonville. They did not res- the players did not respect him down there. Is what it seems like hearing all the reports uh, from Jacksonville of what happened, um, and all the the noise that happened off the field, and all the stuff in the locker room, and you know you have your reports of Urban Meyer kicking his kicker while stretching before practice. Like that's you may get away, be able to get away with that in college when college kids don't know any better and they're, they're not willing to, you know, use their voice to go to the media and talk about that stuff. But in the NFL players are not going to deal with that stuff. So it, it, it brings up a whole bunch of different issues there. And I'll bring up another college football coach uh, name here who's struggling in the NFL, you know, Matt rule with the Carolina Panthers, you know, you look at all the struggles that the Carolina Panthers have had 
Uh, this season in particular, this season has been a rough one in terms of just, you know, it's, it's, it's been an absolute dumpster fire on their, on their offense there because, you know, Matt Rule is handling the, with the way he's handling the quarterback position there, you know, where they're, they're desperate to bring in a guy like Sam Darnold and move on from Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, then Sam Darnold doesn't play well. So they go to PJ Walker. Well, PJ Walker doesn't play good. So now we got to bring in Cam Newton at the last minute. And now we have Cam Newton and PJ Walker and Sam Darnold, you know, all playing um, in a rotation, it seems like now is what he kind of alludes to. Like, those are the type of things to where, you know, you can get away with that type of stuff in college, but you're not going to be able to do that in the NFL. In the NFL, you need to have that bona fide starter, that one guy you can uh, build consistency around and continuity with as your starter and for your offense. It's just not going to work like that. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, you, you talk about the quarterback decision. I mean, sometimes as a head coach, you're kind of paid to figure out alongside with the general manager, hey, who is the starting quarterback going to be? How are you going to develop the roster, right? Sometimes in college, right, player development takes place. But in the NFL, there's such a big emphasis on being able to continuously draft and then develop players. And then I think you also have to add this factor in is that as an NFL head coach, I mean, you got to make big decisions, right? So like Matt Rule's perfect example where kind of the first like eight or nine picks of his tenure in the draft with the Panthers were all defense. You know, they went Brian Burns last year. They grabbed JC Horn this year. They kind of one or two days before the draft went ahead and basically traded for Sam Darnold by shipping off Teddy Bridgewater. And so it really has been domino effect. Now, the problem I think comes down to this is that you need to be able to make the big decisions and you kind of have to be confident. You can't play this musical chairs with anything in the NFL type game because then what's going to happen is eventually that decision is going to bite you. Now, there's extenuating circumstances, right? There's chances where, I'm sorry, there's circumstances, situations where it's just like, hey, Let's just say, you know, Sam Darnold got injured. You had to have P.J. Walker step in. But then it – and kind of that's somewhat of what happened. But then it was also most like Sam Darnold was playing so up and down to the point where the Panthers were like, all right, let's go to P.J. Walker. And then it was like, all right, P.J. Walker's not getting it done. Let's go ahead and choose Cam Newton here. Ultimately, that's just what it comes down to is that Matt Rule has not really been a sound decision maker. And some of his decisions, including – kind of wanting to go with a player like J.C. Horns over Mac Jones or Justin Fields. You know, certainly here in Chicago, we're okay with those decisions. But just speaking from an objective perspective, you know for a fact that he's probably regretting those decisions right now. Yeah, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, getting that quarterback position right because the Panthers, they were desperate to address quarterback last offseason. And you know, you're right. Uh, us Bears fans are definitely not uh, going to uh, complain about uh, that decision that they made. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it just comes down to the fact that, you know, when, when you look at head coaches coming from the college ranks, you just don't know what to expect. And I know that it's tough to project any new head coach, uh, even at, from a guy that, who's been working in the NFL his entire coaching career. Um, there are so many factors that go into successful head coach, how they deal with people, how they, uh, make in-game decisions, you know, obviously the schematic aspect of things, how they lead a locker room and, and pull everything together, you know, how they build a team with, the with, you know, in conjunction with uh, the general manager and the front office. Those are all things that go into a successful head, successful head coach, and it's tough to uh, judge those guys. But, you know, the college, the college football co head coaches coming in from, from college football, uh, they have a rougher track record than others. So, I'll just say this to kind of end this conversation here before we move on to our final topic. You say, 
for any Bears fans who are throwing out, you know, college football coaches and, you know, saying that, oh, it'd be a nice idea to bring these guys in. Just take a step back for a moment and just think about the history of college football coaches and their transition to the NFL and think about all the different challenges that are going to be presented to them. And, you know, is this the type of coach that you think can make that transition? Because there are a lot of factors. The only, you know, there are very few coaches who have made that transition well. Jim Harbaugh, I think, you know, we can all say that you know, he was a sex, successful um, transition from the college ranks to the NFL in terms of going from Stanford uh, to, to the San Francisco 49ers. That, that's one of them. Cliff Kingsbury, you know, it seems like he's, he's starting to turn the corner for Arizona Cardinals, but uh, long-term, we'll see what end up, ends up happening there. But outside of that, I mean, there are very few instances, you know, maybe going all the way back, maybe you can say a guy like Bill Walsh uh, for the San Francisco 49ers coming from Stanford, I think as well. Um, he was the coach there at Stanford for a, a little while, uh, if my memory serves correct. But Bill Walsh was a whole different uh, animal. He was in the NFL for a long time. He was an NFL coach who just happened to coach in college football. I think there's a huge difference there. Um, but yeah, the, the track record isn't great. So I'm just going to throw that out there for all the Bears fans who are looking at uh, college football head coach candidates for the Bears job. Let's pump the brakes a little bit and just think about this thing um, going forward here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, say let's go to our last topic here, uh, talking about some bowl game action, specifically talking about some of the key players that uh, will be playing in these upcoming bowl games coming up and players especially that won't be playing. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of, I would, I would say, star prospects here that a lot of guys that uh, I think they're going to be going behind this draft, as well as some guys that I think are going to be on the Bears' radar in this upcoming draft that we're not going to be able to see them in their upcoming bowl games. So who are some of the guys that you want to highlight here, you say it, and kind of talk about um, in terms of just, you know, the type of players, type of prospects they are before you know, we get into the off-season stage of evaluating these guys. Well, yeah, I mean, there's two guys from Purdue, the edge rusher, George Karlafidis, as well as the wide receiver, David Bell. Now, Karlafidis, I think, is drawing some first-round consideration this year in a year where there's arguably two blue-chip prospects in Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau and Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. Karlafidis, I think, has kind of been forgotten about. He's certainly someone to keep an eye on as the guy who's going to be drafted behind Hutchinson and Thibodeau. So essentially you have another really good first round talent who can come in and in the NFL, if he lands in the right situation, develops properly. I could certainly see George Carl having a 15, 16 year career. Now the second name, and I think this name that bears fans need to really focus on is David Bell wide receiver for Purdue. I know that when we talk about this draft class, kind of the cream of the crop at the wide receiver position is Ohio State's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I mean, both those guys are phenomenal. You have Arkansas's Traylon Burks, who's another one. But then really when you look at it, David Bell from Purdue had a really nice 2021 season. He kind of reminds me a bit of um, Michael Gallup, right? Wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys right now. A really good possession receiver. Doesn't necessarily have breakaway speed, but has a pretty good arsenal to be a successful wide receiver in the NFL. And so 
David Bell is going to be a name to keep an eye on. And then I think the third guy for me is certainly Nevada quarterback Carson Strong, who will be at the Senior Bowl. The reason I bring him up is because, and we've kind of alluded to this in the past, right, in the sense that going into the year, we didn't really know what this quarterback class was going to look like outside of Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. Now, Rattler, Howell, they've kind of been forgotten about. Rattler more so than Howell because he's not going to the draft this year, Um, might be going next year, or I don't know when. But the point is, is Carson Strong, I think he's a player that a lot of people just both in the NFL and in the national media have identified as a player who could ultimately, when it's all said and done this draft process, be quarterback one and be taken first overall. Is he as good as some of these other quarterback prospects that have come out in years past? Absolutely not. But you know what? There is another there is enough there to work with to the point where the right situation could really help Carson Strong. Cause when I look at him overall, I see a player who isn't the most physically gifted, but then at the end of the day has all the necessary traits that you could want. And he's a really smart and instinctive college quarterback whose game could translate to the NFL. Yeah, certainly Carlaptis and Bell are going to be huge losses for Purdue and their bowl game. Um, you know, Carlaptis and, and, in particular, uh, you talk about Aiden Hutchinson and Kevion Thibodeau as being potential borderline blue chip prospects as edge rusher. You know, Carl Aftis, in my opinion, he's he's right there. Like we talked about Hayden Hutchinson maybe being the top edge guy here, Thibodeau being the top edge guy. You can make an argument that Carl Aftis could be the top edge guy in this class. Like he is that good. Um, certainly brings a different element than those two. You know, he's very technically sound, very powerful, uh, very good get off, but uh, he, he's a very fun edge rusher to watch. And David Bell, you know, he, he could be a target for the Bears in the second round there. It wouldn't be surprising uh, whatsoever. But I'm glad you talked about uh, Carson Strong because Carson Strong, you know, th- this quarterback class, there's going to be a lot of debate over the next few months on who's going to be the top guy in this class and who's going to be going in the first round because it is not as strong of a group. We've talked about this a ton on this podcast, not as strong of a group as last year's draft class. But uh, Carson Strong, you talk about, him having a chance, a legitimate chance of being a franchise guy or a guy that, you know, could be drafted high and be successful um, in the NFL. A lot of that goes to his arm talent. You know, he's not the most gifted athlete in the world. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, break lots of records scrambling and getting yards as a runner, but you watch him play and the the arm talent really stands out. He made as as many NFL throws this year as any other quarterback prospect in this class. And, and, on the receiving end of a lot of those um, NFL caliber throws was his main number one target, Romeo Dubs at Nevada as well, wide receiver for him. Now, Dubs, I'm not sure what his status will be for Nevada. I would assume he's not playing because Carson Strong's not playing. You know, why would he, as the wide receiver there, being a benefactor in part of Carson Strong, want to play in a bowl game and risk anything, whether it be, you know, the draft stock or injury, all that stuff. I, I, I don't see Dubs playing, but I haven't had any official confirmation on that. But uh, Dubs is a really intriguing name for me at, at the wide receiver spot because I think he's a uh, – right now I have him as a little bit more of a mid-second round to maybe early third-round talent, but there is a lot to work with here at Dubs. And I was looking forward to seeing what he would do in, the, in this bowl game. But obviously, I don't think he's going to play at this point. Um, but, you know, I watch Dubs play, and I see a guy who – I think he's about 6'3". He's got a, a long, lean frame. Uh, but very explosive as well and, and more agile than you'd think for a guy of his size. Um, very good ability to stretch the field with his speed. Um, 
I, I think he's a little bit more refined than others may think as a route runner. Um, a lot, again, a lot quicker, more explosive than a, a lot of these guys here. And Dubs, I think he's got a sky high potential in the NFL if he can just work on a couple of technical things, but and, and working on some focus drop issues for sure. Uh, those, that's been one issue for him throughout his college football career. But you know, he can make a lot of t- tough contested catches in traffic. He can make the spectacular catches outside of his frame. You know, he's got a pretty good catch radius. So uh, there's lots of love in his game. I think he's going to be at the Senior Bowl coming up in about a, a little bit over a month here. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what he does at the Senior Bowl because uh, he's a guy that I could see rocketing up draft boards because there is a lot of physical talent that he has um, to translate, I think, to the NFL level. In terms of some other players that won't be playing in their respective games, uh, Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, this seems like a no-brainer that he wouldn't play. He's had um, really a meteoric rise this year with his play this season. You know, he's been one of the better quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in all of college football this season. And, you know, there was really no reason for him to play in, in this bowl game between Pittsburgh and Michigan State. And speaking of Michigan State, Kenneth Walker, uh, who's been the best running back in college football this season, uh, he's not going to be playing as well. He's kind of solidified himself as one of the better running back prospects in this upcoming draft. Um, made no sense for him playing risk injury, especially at his position, that running back position. Uh, you don't want to risk injury at all. So uh, I think a smart decision on his part there. Um, so, again, disappointed that we're not going to be able to see these guys play. But, again, these guys, you have to think about it from a business perspective here. You got to think about your long-term future here. And a lot of that is thinking about your draft slot and where you get drafted. And that impacts your rookie contract and, and how much money you're making as a rookie. You want to protect that. And especially for Kenny, Kenneth Walker, it makes a ton of sense there. Um, in terms of the guys, some guys that could be playing, um, you know, I'm going to keep my eye on a couple of Boston College prospects here, especially on the offensive line. We'll get Zion Johnson and Alex Lindstrom. Now, it wouldn't surprise me at all for either of these guys to play. It wouldn't surprise me to see them not play. I haven't had any official confirmation. So um, if you, you say I have any official confirmation on them, let me know because uh, Zion Johnson especially, um, <clears throat> he's been, he's been one of, he's been one of the best interior offensive linemen in all of college football this season. He's an all American this year. Um, he's, he's a guy that I actually look at for the bears here. You look at, you know, getting into, you know, James Daniels contract situation, Cody Whitehair and, and his play this year. You know, they could be in need of a guard here coming up. Zion Johnson, uh, he could be the perfect fit for them because he's just a, a really physically talented player. And in terms of some players that will be playing uh, this upcoming week in their bowl game, Sam Howell at North Carolina. And I think Daniel Falele at Minnesota will be playing right tackle for Minnesota. So a lot of names to keep on watch there. But um, any of those guys kind of stand up, anything that kind of stands out in terms of that group of players there for you, you said. Yes. Okay. Let's talk Zion Johnson real quick. I mean, he's going into the season, right? Evan Neal from Alabama is perhaps going to be the top rated offensive lineman. Zion Johnson, I think has drawn some consideration for that as well. And again, for the bears, I mean, they should be scouting offensive linemen regardless because the best teams in the NFL, like the chiefs and Ravens, they continuously figure out ways to invest in the offensive line. And no matter it may not be a high priority. They just want that depth there anyway. Now, looking at Sam Hell, Daniel Falili, I mean, yeah, both of those guys are total um, 
you know, how I'm really interested in, because he's kind of been compared to Drew Brees in the past, but then Daniel Falui is an interesting one, because if you look at the NFL draft in 2021, you know, Falui was one of those names that last year around this time, people were unsure whether he was going to return to school, but he was pretty high up there on draft boards. I mean, he is a massive offensive tackle prospect. He's kind of been the a staple alongside that Gophers offensive line for the last couple seasons. So when he was returning in 2021, it was kind of big news for PJ Fleck and that entire program because they were getting kind of a big leader back into the room. But I think if Falili makes the jump from Minnesota to the NFL, I kind of want to I'm interested in seeing how much his technique has improved throughout the course of 2021. You know, he's a big guy, but has he learned to kind of use that big frame to his advantage? Or is this one of those situations where it's just like, okay, he's big, he's got long arms, so the length and strength is there. But then at the end of the day, his technique is just all over the place. And then you're looking at, okay, he's not necessarily going to be a plug-and-play guy because the plug-and-play potential is there for him. He's going to be more so a guy that needs to kind of just sit and develop for a year or two before hopefully having a chance to really push for a starting job. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation to have with uh, Falele in, in particular, because of the fact that, you know, I think you can feel pretty confident uh, with Jenkins as being a left tackle in the future. Now, a lot of bears fans are high on Larry Borum. I get it. You know, as a fifth round pick, he's done pretty well so far, but that right tackle position for the Bears still has not been solidified yet. I'm of the I'm of the opinion that uh, you should just keep on throwing draft picks at the tackle spots until you get two that you feel really good about, and then one backup that you feel can play in a pinch for you at a pretty high level. I'm of the opinion that just you just keep on throwing uh, draft picks there. Um, that's just my philosophy on it because it's just a very valuable position. You want to make sure you're good there, but um, you know it goes to you know if you're the Bears. You know, if you don't feel like Larry Borm is your long-term answer, why not take a chance on a guy like Daniel Falele? And and Falele, he's a guy who has a ton of physical talent, six foot nine, three hundred eighty pounds. I think was his last listed weight, or uh, last that was what he was last listed at. Um, just ridiculously large human being, and he moves very well for a guy of his size. But I mean, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, he's still a little bit raw with his technique and whatnot. So he's definitely a long-term project. He's an intriguing long-term project, though, and it just goes to show that, you know, offensive tackles, sometimes it can take them a while to develop, especially for, uh, you know, big, physical, talented guys like him. Um, It's not going to click right away for a lot of these guys. So um, just got to keep that in mind uh, for Bears fans. Again, you want to make sure that you continue to invest in that offensive line. Uh, You can't just be satisfied with just being average here. You got to – you want that to be a strength of your football team. So when you look at guys like Zion Johnson, uh, Al Glinstrom, Daniel Falele, just keep them in mind when it comes to the mid-rounds for this Bears team uh, when the draft comes around um, in, in you know four or five months here when it comes to April and draft season is officially on board. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, you say let's get to uh, previewing this Bears Seahawks game coming up. Uh, you know, the Bears are coming off, of course, that loss to Minnesota Vikings, two losses in a row now. 
to divisional foes, but uh, now they're going to be traveling to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. So you said, uh, I want to get your opinion here first or your prediction here. Uh, what do you have? Who do you have winning this game? What do you think the score is going to be? And who's going to be your X factor for this Seahawks Bears game? Yeah, listen, this is another one of those games that I think is just a complete toss up because you have two teams that kind of went into this season hopefully looking to sneak into the playoffs. And again, the Seahawks would have been in the middle of the playoff hunt had it not been for Russell Wilson's injury right there, kind of just as the season was continuing to heat up. But ultimately, listen, you know, the Bears have nothing to play for at this point because they've mathematically been eliminated for the playoffs. The Seahawks are certainly on the verge of losing one or two games and they'll be out of the playoffs too. So for me, really, this is just two teams trying to finish out the season, right? Now, the thing is, this game means a bit more to the Seahawks simply because this could be Russell Wilson's last season in Seattle. But I'm going to go ahead and say the Seahawks end up winning 31-17. to I think that when you have a difference maker at that quarterback position, no matter how talented or not talented your roster is, as long as you have that difference maker, he's going to make all the difference in the world. So that's Russell Wilson for me. I think for the Bears, yeah, hey, listen, they do have a chance in this game. But then again, it just goes back to the fundamental principle of you're getting Eddie Jackson to Sean Gibson as well as Jalen Johnson back because they were activated off the reserve slash COVID-19 list. But then what's going to come down to is this is, hey, can the Bears offense, if they move the ball consistently when they get into the red zone can they actually score because monday night this team had five drives in the red zone and five red zone trips and guess what they pretty much did not come over the touchdown on any of those and so ultimately except for one of them actually which was a garbage time touchdown so it shouldn't even really count so that's what it's going to come down to for the bears offense and you know the offense is going to have to do more than the defense because time and time again what was the theme on monday night for the bears it was hey defense go out there and put the offense in a position to win this game when the offense couldn't capitalize and it's the exact same theme over and over again yeah, the Bears have to find ways to score in this game. That that's the bottom line here. You know, the Seahawks, they're they're a struggling team this season. This this year has not gone the way that I think all Seahawks th- fans thought it would be. Obviously, Russell Wilson's injury kind of threw things off for them, but this was the Seahawks team was they, they had a lot of question marks uh, going to this year anyway. So I mean, I mean, this is a winnable game for the Bears here. Um, but again, the offense, they they have to show up here. And if they're not gonna show up, you know, I, I, I don't know, because, you know, the defense can only do so much with what's been given to them. You know, it's it seemed like a minor miracle that Sean Desai was able to get this defense to play as well as it did um, against the Vikings. I don't think that's, rep, you know, that can be replicated two games in a row, especially if, you know, A, Jackson's going to be back, but what if Jalen Johnson's not going to be back in time for this game? You know, what if we're throwing, you know, our backup corners backs out there? Once again, Marquis Christian's getting key playing time. Kim DeVilder is going to be out there. Artie Burns is going to be out there. Like it's just, it's, it's a tough situation for uh, this team right now. And um, you know, the offense, they have to really focus here and, and get the job done because the Seahawks defense is not a very good defense. It's a, it's a bottom third of the league defense. And you'd expect uh, the bears offense to have some matchups to take advantage of here. You know, the Seahawks pass rush isn't very good. They have weaknesses in the secondary um, the Bears should be able to put up points in this game. Now, I say they should, but who knows at this point? Because they should have put up points against the Minnesota Vikings defense that isn't very good, but they didn't. <laughs> you know, there were a lot of reasons why they didn't, but bottom line, they only scored three points when the game actually mattered. So um, the Bears, I, I think for this game here, the X factor is just the offensive execution. And we, we just did not see enough of it 
last week, you know, the red zone woes were just comical, you know, whether it be fumbles, whether it be wide receivers dropping easy passes, whether it just be guys not making plays when they, there are opportunities to make plays, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong wrong for them uh, against the Vikings that cannot happen again against the Seahawks. And, you know, it would be nice to see an offensive player actually step up to the plate besides like Darnell Mooney, for instance, and actually make a play for the quarterback because I couldn't tell you how many times I saw it in the last game. You say that Justin Fields would make a spectacular play to, you know, escape pressure or extend a play and throw a ball to a tight window to a guy who had relatively good space to make a play and just did not happen. And um, this has been a, a reoccurring theme for this Bears offense. You know, if Justin Fields isn't putting the team on his back or if the running game isn't, you know, dominant early on in the game, this offense cannot do anything. And it's just really frustrating. You know, the talent level just hasn't quite been there this year. In terms of um, my opinions on this game in general, though, you know, it's tough. I think I'm going to take the Bears here with an upset. I, I don't feel great about it, um, but I, I think I'm going to take the Bears here 24 to 21 in a tough game here um, for the win. Again, I think the offensive execution, I think they'll come out better this week, but. Um, again, I'm not really confident in saying that because they're going into a tough environment. Seattle is always a tough place to play. And I don't know if I caught your score here, you say, but uh, what was your score again if you, if you didn't mention it? Yeah, so I'm going to take the Seahawks to win 31-17 to simply because it's hard to trust anything that the Bears do at this point. And then also, when you look at it, I mean, I do think that, yeah, Russell Wilson is going to make a difference. And also, Seattle's just such a tough environment to play in. Yep. All things that make sense to me, you know, it's Seattle is a very tough place to play in. So again, I'm taking the bears to win here. Obviously you said you're taking the bears to lose in this one. I can't really dispute that. I'm kind of going back to my, my logic of last week for the Vikings game where I can't explain it, but you know, the Seahawks, they just find weird ways to lose games like this. It seems like, or just being competitive games that they shouldn't be competitive. Uh, the other team shouldn't be competitive in uh, during the last couple of years uh, of the Pete Carroll era here for Seattle. I, I can't explain it, but Seattle never plays in a normal game and neither does the bears. It seems like at this point. So uh, I'm going to go crazy here and just go with the bears winning, but you know, that's going to wrap it up for us here at fix for pace, you know, a lot to talk about with this episode today and hopefully all of our listeners here enjoyed um, all of our discussion here. Um, I want to thank our listeners for, uh, tuning into us on all podcasting platforms. Make sure to follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter to our Twitter account at Picks for Pace. Uh, you said, where can our followers uh, find you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I will have a um, head coaching candidate breakdown article dropping sometime over the next couple of days here discussing current Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen as a possible head coaching candidate. Be on the lookout for that. Yep, obviously keep an eye out for those. We're going to be doing a lot of head coach and GM search type of stuff. A lot of offseason stuff coming up uh, in general as we get to the end of this season. Um, keep an eye out for all that stuff at the Bear Report. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25 You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Um, Keep a lookout for my Tracking the Trenches series where I take a look at the Bears' offensive line and defensive line play. Uh, the Bears, you know, just previewing this next week's uh, article for the Vikings game. You know, I talked about a lot, a lot about how they struggled against the Packers. 
wasn't the case against the Vikings. Now the trenches were awesome uh, in this last game. That's like the one positive, I think, for this Bears team. They were going to pass pro this last week, and their pass rush got after it uh, in, in that game as well. But that's going to wrap it up for us here at Pace for Pace. Once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and I hope that everyone has a safe and healthy weekend. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. Uh, to everyone that celebrates Christmas, Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend with that. And hopefully we can talk to you guys next week to break down the college football playoff and preview some of that coming up. So looking forward to that. Hopefully we can talk about a Bears win next week. Until then, Bears fans, bear down and have a great weekend. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.